0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 445.
1: Hi, I'm Stephen M. R. Covey. I'm the author of Trust and Inspire, The Speed of Trust, and Smart Trust. If there's one podcast you can trust for compelling thoughtful, and life-changing conversations every week is the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. Enjoy.
0: After 36 years of testing, research, and development, today's guest has an explosive business growth system that shows you step-by-step how to peak your profits. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast. The podcast is dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, that intentional and consistent reading is a must. The idea here is virtually each and every week of the show, I interview a successful and inspiring author and we dig into his or her latest book and their unique insights on a number of different topics. Today's guest is Jeff Blackman. He's author of the book, Peak Your Profits, The Explosive Business Growth System. Outsell, outserve, outsmart, outnegotiate the competition. I'm going to be asking Jeff to share about building relationships with value, the important and crucial skill of asking the right questions, why many of us, companies and individuals, struggle with change and what to do about it, and much, much more. If the way you take notes on the content you consume hasn't been working for you, maybe it's time you change Your approach to that. I've got the perfect solution for you in case you haven't heard of it. It's called Note Making Mastery. It's my four module course that is available now on a self paced edition. You can find out more about it at jeffbrown.me. We dig into things like note collection, the tools you should use, but more importantly, how to know what to collect in the first place and how much. We cover note organization and more specifically, note connection, how to make sure your new notes are connecting with existing notes, because that's where things really start to shine. We cover what I call note crystallization. That's another way of describing how to best develop and distill your notes. And finally, note creation, how to take your notes from those first three phases, collection, connection, and crystallization, and then create new things with those notes. Because if you're not doing something with the notes you're taking from the content you consume, as I often like to say, what was the point in taking the notes or consuming that content in the first place? If that's been a frustration for you, and it, and it has been for so many people, it's time to change it. Find out more about Note Making Mastery, the self paced version at jeffbrown.me. Even though it is the self paced version, you'll find when you sign up for the course, a community of people ready to help you put what you learn into practice not just me but dozens of other folks who have gone through the course who are there to help answer questions and more again go to jeffbrown.me and look for note making mastery would love to have you in the network (laughs) jeff blackman is an award-winning speaker best-selling author success coach broadcast personality and lawyer he heads blackman and associates a results producing business growth firm in the chicagoland area Since 1985, Jeff has shared his positive and profit-producing message with audiences throughout the world. In 2008, Jeff was inducted into the National Speakers Association's Speaker Hall of Fame. He was awarded the Council of Peers Award for Excellence and is one of approximately 13% of professional speakers to receive the Certified Speaking Professionals designation from NSA. Also in 2008, Vistage, the world's leading CEO organization, named Jeff Fast Track Speaker of the Year based on the quality and impact of his content and delivery. The book from Jeff we're digging into today is called Peak Your Profits, The Explosive Business Growth System. Well, let me officially welcome you, Jeff, to the Read to Lead podcast. I don't get to interview too many authors named Jeff. <laughs> Great to have you here. And I'm so excited to talk to you about your book.
1: Yeah, a pleasure. And the same initials, JB.
0: <laughs> That's right. Uh, chapter three in particular dives into uh, what I would call, and I don't get to use this word very often, so I like to, a plethora of advice <laughs> on, uh, on building relationships and, and value in particular. Uh, talk about what you call relationship power, this idea of the little r And uh, the big R.
1: So what's so interesting is that any business that I work with does not matter, whether we're talking manufacturing, professional services, consulting, does not matter. Any business will, of course, make the claim. Their people will make the claim. We are in a relationship business. They're right. But that's too superficial. We need to dig deeper. So that's why when I talk about relationship power, Jeff, I'm talking about a little R and a big R. Now, what's the distinction? So little R is traditional relationship building. All the things that you and I and others do, too, establish great relationships. You're a good human being. It's focused on courtesy, respect, dignity, likability. All those things matter. They're important, but they're not enough. You need the big R. Big R goes to the ability to be a growth specialist depending upon your product or your service, you're a growth specialist, either with respect to people's business or their life. So it's about things like how do you improve performance, productivity, profitability, help others maximize gain, minimize loss. So everything that we do in any business in our lives is really only influenced by two driving motivators. And when we understand what the driving motivators are, that helps us in terms of maximizing the relationships. And people go, that's really simple, but it's impactful, which is why it's impactful because it's simple. Now, here's the first one. The only thing that people want you to do for them, Jeff, is improve their condition. That's the present. That's the now. Hey, I got a problem to solve. I got a need to fill. I've got a dream or goal to get. Improve my condition. That's the now. The second driving motivator is, okay, once I help you improve your condition, how can I then help you attain a more favorable future? And that's it. And it's true in relationships. It's true in dating. It's true in love. It's true in business. How do I improve your condition? How do I then help you attain a more favorable future? Mm -hmm. And when you're able to do that for others, then really you're able to do the exact same thing for yourself and your business to be able to reap the results and the revenue and the rewards that are associated with that.
0: You know, in more than one of your books and certainly in Peak Your Profits, you you emphasize the importance of asking the right uh, questions. Right. Some of the 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 reasons this is a crucial skill may seem obvious, but in your view, why is is that skill such a crucial one?
1: Well, What's so interesting is so many folks who I work with, whether it's initially in a results session where they're one of many or when it's specifically with them in their company or in a coaching or a learning system, most folks, they focus on the is. They don't focus on the does. The is is merely facts and features. It's data. It's specific points of information. That's not what drives a decision maker. What drives the decision maker is the does. Goes back to how do you improve my condition? How do you help me attain a more favorable future? So I always stress to folks really as they prepare for any meeting, and we're talking in person, we're talking Zoom, Teams, virtual, telephone, whatever it might be, you need to be aware of what I call the three. Ps. First, you've got to know your purpose. Why the heck are you making the phone call? Why are you having an in-person meeting? What is the purpose of the Teams or the video Zoom conference? Know your purpose. Number two, know your power probes. And I'll share some soon, but power probes are simply open-ended need development questions. And they're open-ended need development questions, meaning they begin with a who, a what, a when, a where, a why, a which, a how, or a tell me more about. Or here's the TED principle, the T, tell me more about, the E, explain to me how, the D, describe for me. Cannot be answered yes or no, Jeff. People go, whoa, hang on. Are you telling me to never ask yay nay questions? Then say that. Yay nay questions are okay two times. First time qualification purposes. You must decipher, who am I talking to? Are they a decision maker? Are they a decision influencer? Or are they a decision the layer or decision destroyer? Mm. Who's a pretender? Who's a player? So you've got Mm. to first determine based upon qualification. And the other yay, nay time is it's decision time. Do I have your thumbs up and approval and okay mm-hmm. and not a green light? However, we wanted to find that. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time you're asking open-ended need development questions. So that's the second P, first purpose, second power probe. And the third parade of progress. What are you doing to set the stage for the next meeting? What does it require? So we're not talking about fast closing. We're talking about generating the relationship for now in the future. The focus is on longevity, not transaction, but annuitization. So when you've got one, your purpose, two, power probes, and three, parade of progress, you then know what you need to do to keep things moving forward.
0: And if you like, I can share a few examples of power probes. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. That seems like the logical place to go next.
1: Power probes, once again, are the open ended need development questions. And I recommend to people at a minimum they develop their dynamic dozen. So I'll often ask groups, I go, hey, just out of curiosity, if you or your team has got power probes and a dynamic dozen, raise your hand. And they go, well, what are you talking about? What's, what's a dynamic dozen? I go, I'm not talking about bagels or, <laughs> or sans or muffins or donuts, but the power probe is at least 12. At a minimum 12, and truly, Jeff, I can ask hundreds. I can ask hundreds of questions, but I suggest to people at least 12. They begin with a who, what, when, where, why, which, how. Tell me more about, explain to me how, or describe for me. Well, what kinds of questions? Questions as simple as, so Jeff, tell me what are some of your short or long-term goals? what does your perfect solution look like? What's your biggest challenge? And here are two really valuable ones. And I actually had a CEO who heard me speak about two months ago, who had requested that I call him to follow up to be able to help him and his team, which I did. And when our Zoom call started, he said to me, hey, hey, I know you've got questions for me, but I got to tell you what happened. He said, I took some of the questions that you just shared that I had never seen before. And I asked them of a prospective client. And he said, Jeff, they worked unbelievable. And it led to me landing a client. I go, just (laughs) out of curiosity, what are some of the questions? He goes, well, here are my two favorite. He said, one, I asked, what will you value most in our relationship? He said, I then asked them what you recommended is how will we measure success? And he said to me, they became a client. Now we then started to dive into how he wanted me to help him. And at some point, I actually said to him with a smile and a chuckle, I said, you know, I need to ask you some questions that I just recently heard. I said, just out of curiosity, what will you value most in our relationship? (laughs) And he cracked up and answered it. And then I said, and how will we measure success? And he told me. And when that Zoom call ended, he had become a client. Mm. So I always stress to people, this stuff works, but only if you execute it. And I'll share with you one of my favorite questions. One of my favorite questions that I urge others to ask is, what's the risk of doing nothing? Because what most people attempt to do, Jeff, is they start to say, hey, Jeff, listen, this is a really important decision. We need to move ahead on this. I don't know what's going to happen by the end of the week. There could be a price increase. So Mm. that comes with push. That comes with resistance. That comes with conflict. Instead, I say, take a step back and simply ask, what's the risk of doing nothing? Or how does time become your enemy if you choose to delay? What Mm. that does is that it requires your decision maker for them to consider what's the frustration, the angst, the difficulty if they delay. Now, those are just maybe what a half a dozen of truly hundreds of questions that I could share with your listeners and your viewers. So here's what we'd like to do. If you're listening or watching and you would like to get what I call a sweet 16 of questions, simple way you can get them. Mm. All you need to do is to send an email to Cheryl, S-H-E-R-Y-L, S-H-E-R-Y-L at jeffblackman.com, Cheryl at jeffblackman.com. And all you need to do is to put in The subject, Sweet 16 Jeff Brown Rocks. So you put in Sweet 16 Jeff Brown Rocks. I assure you, we'll know what that JB reference means. And then Cheryl will send you these Sweet 16 that others have really found to be incredibly helpful. Why? You can use them right now.
0: I have to admit that when I send you that email, which I'm going to do after this conversation, I'm going to feel a little bit funny about writing Jeff Brown Rocks in the, in the subject line.
1: Well, that's just part of self-actualization,
0: correct? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, that, that, those are great. And I, I can see how those would work in, in email communication, too, when you're making True. offers. The email to your tribe and you know, a program you're, you you want them to consider, what, what, you know, what's what's the cost of doing nothing? Those are some some key things to, to think about.
1: So you referenced email. So we obviously spend a lot of time on email. We all spend time on written communications. It's proposals, Mm. which I call action plans. It could be brochures, advertising slicks, or websites, any attempt to influence or persuade. So I suggest to people they incorporate the rule of four to one. Before I became an attorney, I've been a lawyer since 1982, but thankfully for me, never, ever, ever practiced law. For me, it was the right decision. But my undergraduate from the University of Illinois is in advertising. So for a small time, when I was actually in law school at night, I worked in Chicago's advertising community on Michigan Avenue and in and around that area. So one of the fellows that I met years ago was Kevin Leo with NWR. At that time, a real powerhouse in terms of the direct marketing community. What he taught me about Jeff was the rule of four to one. Now, I'm not a rules guy, but this is the only rule that I really share (laughs) because it's so powerful. So I'm going to suggest to anyone listening or watching, take a look at how you communicate in print. Look at your emails where you're attempting to influence, persuade, or sell. Take a look at, again, anything that's promotional, including your website. Because what most people have a tendency to do, i.e. their website, is about us. They got an about us tab. And what that's telling somebody is if you click here, it got nothing to do with you. It's Mm. about us. So the rule of four to one is take a look at how you communicate in print. And anytime you use a you word, circle the word you. Now, what do I mean? It's You your the individual's name like Jeff Brown Mm read to lead references their company or words like us we are talking about us working unified together Mm -hmm. I words are truly I me my mine, my name my company us we are ain't talking about you I'm talking about me this time (laughs) circle your you words underline your I-words. I-words are fine, but for every one I-word, you better have four U-words if not just spending too much time talking about yourself. And I call that a business blunder, a financial faux pas. It's just plain dumb. Mm. And we've got clients that have totally changed how they now communicate in print. Initially, they say, that was really tough, but wow, am I glad you told me because it totally changes all of my meetings in person, over the phone, in print, whatever it might be. It's made me customer or prospect focused instead of me focused. So simple, but a good rule to use.
0: As you hear this, if you're thinking this feels familiar, it's because I've used this technique with guests before on the podcast. I teach my podcast coaching clients the power of of you and your, and in particular, we, us, and our, when wanting to include the listener alongside them as they ask questions and really bring the listener into the conversation. So again, as I said before, as you hear this, if it feels familiar and that Y-O-U is you listening right now, <laughs> uh, it's because I love that technique for really bringing out the intimacy in what would otherwise be a conversation, Jeff, just between you and me. I want the person listening to feel like they're sitting right next to me and the two of us are sitting across from you as we have this this conversation. And, and using those techniques in this environment is, is what makes the listener feel like is actually happening. They intellectually know that this is a conversation they're hearing that's been recorded and they weren't present for it. But when you use that language, you make them feel as if they're, they actually are.
1: Absolutely true. And I now stress to folks that if you focus on your Y-O-U, that helps your Y-O-O. When you focus on you, your Y-O-O generates your optimal outcomes. Your optimal outcomes are not only what's in your best interest, but it's in the best interest of decision-maker, decision-influencer, whomever it might be.
0: Every one of us at one time or another has had to answer or has been asked the question, so what do you do? What are, what are some ways that we can creatively respond to that kind of question in a way that's going to make an impact and, and leave an impression?
1: Well, what's so interesting about the question is most folks do not respond to the question effectively. <laughs> they give a noun or they give a title. What do you do? I am a and fill in the blank. I'm a CEO. I'm a salesperson. I'm a supervisor. They give a noun or a title. It's not responsive. The question is, so what do you do? It's looking for a verb. It's looking for an impact, an outcome. So one of the first things that I suggest to people is pretend that someone just asked you, so what do you do? Answer the way that you normally do. When I do this in actual result sessions, we have a change or a transformation in literally under. Two minutes. Here's why. So I have people respond with I am a whatever they traditionally say. I go, OK, now here's what I'd like you to do next. Jot down the letters RBAO and RBAO stands for results, benefits, advantages, outcomes. People go, well, how does the R differ from the B and the A and the O? I go, it really doesn't. It just triggers your mind in different ways. So it's results, benefits, advantages, outcome. And then I give people only 60 seconds. That's it, Jeff. I go take the next 60 seconds and jot down as many results, benefits, advantages, outcomes that you and your team, your products or services, your people deliver to the marketplace daily. That's what you really do. So people start to write as fast as they can. I go, stop. Now take a look at what you just jotted down and consider how can some, not all, some of the language you just jotted down be used to answer the question now, so what do you do? And then people go, I can't believe how much better this is, and it's been less than two minutes. That's actually an entire section within the pages of Peak Your Profits where we focus on Mm -hmm. that result, benefit, advantage, outcome, thought process which really drives itself through everything that we teach folks, which is, focused on what's in other people's best interest first before yours so use the rBAo results benefits advantages outcome approach why because it really serves everybody incredibly well and that will actually help improve the so-called elevator speech but it goes beyond that the mm. CEO said to me I thought this was going to be a lame elevator speech exercise until I realized you've given us a thought process that applies to all aspects of our business
0: mm, mm, mm. that's a, that's an incredible distinction I love that I'm glad you I'm glad you added that uh, to your answer. Why, in in your estimation, Jeff, do we, and when I say we, I mean individuals and companies uh, have such a tough time with change? I have my own thoughts about this, but but I'd love to hear yours.
1: Well, it's frightening, Jeff, because it's very easy to get comfortable and complacent. Mm. And I'll often ask folks, do you hear language like this in your hallways? We've always done it that way. We don't like to go to the outside for additional ideas. We once try that. It'll never work. Our folks are not properly trained. The timing is terrible. There's nothing in the budget. So I call these ways to kill a great idea. Have you heard these before? And people go, well, yeah, I heard it like yesterday. So one of the things that's transformational from a mindset perspective is just three words, which are up till now. So if someone says, yeah, we've done it that way before up till now well, that's going to fly in the face of our culture up till now. It immediately causes a trigger to say, well, okay, let's take a look at what the current view of the situation is. That's the CVS. But now you've got to pursue the BVS, which is the better view of the situation. And that transformation was first taught to me when I was doing work beginning in the late 90s with the folks at Bank One. So one of their leaders was the first one to actually introduce me to the CVS to BVS transformation. At that time, their leader was a guy by the name of Don Winkler. And then Don had experience as an engineer before he got in financial services and into banking. And he also spoke about the box. Now, everyone says you got to get out of the box, but no one knows what that means. And a box has got six sides, not four. It's got six. And a box includes things like opinions and assumptions and attitudes and beliefs and fear, et cetera. So what happens is those things kick into overtime. So we allow our fears, our assumptions, our beliefs, opinions, preconceived notions, etc., that influences our CVS. Mm. But now when you start to pursue the BVS, it gives you a totally different perspective. And I do have clients who say to me, hey, on a daily basis, we say to folks, well, okay, I understand your CVS, what's your BVS? So it's a very quick way to immediately change their thought process to look for possibility. You turn breakdown to breakthrough." You turn garbage to gold.
0: As you're sharing some of these stories, you're demonstrating something that I talk about in this course that I teach called Note Making Mastery. And and you've shared, uh, as, as we've gone along here, things that you have learned from others. You mentioned this, this bank president, I think it was, mm-hmm. uh, and other examples of, of things you've learned from others throughout your career that you have taken, that you have Paraphrase summarized added to improved in, in many cases, and though there's still credit given, you now have your own iteration of that, and are sharing about those things in your work and I think a lot of people miss out on those opportunities to really impact others. You know We were taught in school you know not to look on somebody else 's paper, not to not to cheat uh, in a manner of speaking, and that's, that's a good thing, but one of the things that sort of inadvertently teaches us is that borrowed creativity is not a good thing. You throughout your career and anybody who is good at what they do, in my opinion, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing really original. Everything we do and say and think, we're borrowing from hundreds, oftentimes, different sources. But we're putting our own unique spin on those things. We're adding to them. In a lot of cases, we're improving upon them. And I love to hear these stories where you're referencing, so-and-so taught me this. But you've taken it and you've run with it and you're introducing it to people who wouldn't have otherwise had that opportunity and maybe in many cases making it better than it was before. And so few people actually do that because they think, well, that's somebody else's idea. That's not mine. But, but again, no, no ideas are really, are really new are really fresh. It's, it's just an opportunity for us to put our own stamp on it. Would you uh, agree with that assessment I'm trying to make or or you have other thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely true. And to some extent, that's why you can't really copyright the language gone with the wind. So (laughs) is that about something related to the Civil War or is that about sailing? So I often stress to folks when they say to me, oh, Jeff, I've heard something like this before. And then I politely inquire. So what would you do with it?
0: Silence.
1: (laughs) So I go, if you heard it but did nothing, it's like you never heard it. So if I say to people, okay, here's why you think you've heard it before, or you might have heard it before, is it's a principle. Principles don't change to your exact point, Jeff. They are etched in stone because they're principles, they live forever. But how do you convert the principle based upon nuance adaptation into practice? And it's the practice what drives the profits. So I often tell folks when I work with clients, whether it's one-to-one coaching, I'm working with a leader. So it could be an EVP of sales, a chief revenue officer, or a president, a business owner, or a CEO. I'd literally ask this question. I go, when I discovered stuff about you and your organization, how do you want me to share what I learned with you? They go, "What? what do you mean? I go, do you want to be honest or do you want me to be diplomatic? <laughs> and they respond, well, of course, honest. Therefore- They know I will always give it to them straight, but they will never hear me say, let me be honest with you, to be honest, let me be frank, trust me, I'm always those things. I don't have to give the preamble. Now, I could simply share that, but it becomes more powerful when I then go to a story and then I'll share with everybody listening or watching a simple strategy where they can trace their life to capture anecdotes. And I had a CEO years ago who said to me, You know, Blackman, one of the things that I really value in our relationship, and this was a supreme compliment, Jeff. He said to me, one of the things that I really value in our relationship is the fact that you never protect your butt and you never kiss mine (laughs) because he knew I would always give it to him straight whether he wanted to hear it or not. And he wouldn't get that from people who were on his payroll. And he actually tried to hire me. He wanted me to go work for him. I said, what do you value most in our relationship? He says, the candor and the honesty. I said, how do you think that might change if I come work for you? He goes, yeah, don't come work for me. (laughs) (laughs) Because he knew I was more valuable not working for him. Mm. All right, here's the simple strategy. And I share this with business people. And I also share it with students. So I'm a graduate of the University of Illinois Uh, undergraduate with a degree in advertising, again, before I became an attorney. So I've had the great pleasure to go back to my university, and I will do it again upcoming to speak to the business students this fall. Mm. And one of the things that I stress to them when they're asked about who they are in their interviews, and most kids are not good in interviews, Mm. and I've shared this strategy when one of my first clients actually was the Shoal College of Podiatric Medicine, So we taught their doctors to be how to be terrific in interviews. So I taught Mm -hmm. them to trace their life in three key areas for stories, personal, professional, academic. Mm -hmm. I said, look through your life and find stories related to personal, professional and academic, either success, challenge, obstacle. Now, when you accumulate stories, you are different than anyone else you're interviewing against. Mm. If someone's to say to you, what adjectives describe you? And most people say, I'm hardworking, I'm diligent, I'm creative, and I go boring. <laughs> but if you can develop at least one, two, or three stories as to how you are hardworking, how you are diligent, how you are creative, we love stories. My Mm. wife and I just became grandparents a few weeks ago. Mm. Our daughter, Brittany, or her husband, Rob, gave birth to twins. We've got little Sloan and little Charlie. I look forward to the day when I can start reading to them. Why? We love stories from an early age. As adults, Jeff, we're no different. That's what you've been able to do in a phenomenal way with Read to Lead. You give your fans the opportunity to hear stories every Mm. single time you open your mic. And we love stories. That's why we go to movies. That's why we mm-hmm. read books.
0: Mm. This is so much fun. I, I, I know our time is limited, but I, I could talk about these topics for uh, quite a long time. I, 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 can, I can see that you and I are going to be having additional conversations in the future if I have anything to do with it. Let's put it I think the word is plethora, <laughs> correct? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, talk a bit about your, your uh, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, your Vine Philosophy ah. that you that you write about in the book Capital V I N lowercase E.
1: You got it. So I just kind of snuck the lowercase E to make things easy. <laughs> so what the Vine philosophy is focused on, and this is my philosophy, I developed on the back of a napkin, literally in 1985. And I get pushback. Some people push back in this, and they go, "You're nuts." And I go, "Well, that's okay. We don't have to agree. <laughs> but this is what's important to me. If it's not you, that's okay. Here's what it stands for: V." is value-driven. I is integrity-based. N is non-manipulative. And the V, value-driven, is I always stress deliver more in perceived value than you take in actual cash value. Mm. And in the absence of a value barometer, the relationship is reduced to a price eliminator. Imagine if you perceive the value to be here and the price is Here They go, wait Mm. a really high value, really low price. Well, I'm going to gobble it up. And I go, really? And most people go, oh, hang on. Something's wrong. What's missing? Mm. And the opposite is true too. If the value is here, but the price is here, they will also eliminate you. I is integrity-based. You never lie. You never cheat. You never steal. You never fudge, ever. You don't reduce the relationship to what I call a mind-manipulating, profit-reducing, energy-sapping game of who do you trust. And I always stress this to people, Jeff. When trust is high, fear is low. The end is non-manipulative. You can be proactive. You can be aggressive. You can be politely persistent. But if you manipulate someone into a decision, you might get the yay now, but you're not going to get the next one. You're not going to get the introduction or the referral. Mm. That is focused on transaction versus annuitization. And I always stress to people, Mm. vendors are focused on only the now. Partners are focused on the long-term. Key distinction, vendors, expendable. Partners, invaluable. Mm. That's why being value-driven, integrity-based, and non-manipulative, for me, is a philosophy in life and business. I've had clients ask me to do things, and I go, sorry, can't do that. Mm. Just But that's in our best interest. I go, but I'd be lying or fudging to your people. Sorry, ethically, I can't do mm. it. So I've said no to some prospective clients over the years because I know ethically, we ain't on the same page, Jeff. So I won't do it.
0: Well, our time is almost up, but before uh, we wrap up, I do want to ask you some questions not directly related to the book. Before we do that, anything else from this great book that you want to make sure we know about or walk away with?
1: My only suggestion is, as you well know, that if you want to lead, you need to read. So my opinion isn't as important as to those who've had the benefit, whether it's the first edition or now the fifth edition of Peak Your Profits, is this stuff works. And that is not my opinion, that most important is client experience. We have truly had, based upon these principles that people have then converted to practice, they've driven remarkable results. Some of them truly doubling or tripling their income. But I always stress to folks, it goes beyond reading. I'm going to share a brief visual tool here. This is a golf ball. So I will describe it for those listening, but for those who are watching, this is a golf ball that I've had now for probably seven or eight years. I did work with a client in Ohio, specifically in Beechwood, Ohio, at the Beachmont Country Club, which is where I was speaking. The day before I spoke, Jeff, I found this golf ball in the Grand Ballroom. Grand Ballroom overlooked the 18th grade. So my first thought was, that's a really bad approach, Jeff. <laughs> Somehow it snuck its way into the Grand Ballroom. But I find this golf ball and it says, Practice. So the word practice is emblazoned Mm -hmm. two times on the golf ball. So I show this to the CEO and he says to me, Blackman, he never calls me by my first name. Mm -hmm. He says, Blackman, he says, I have never seen anyone as well prepared as you. That's a message and a metaphor for my team. Please stress to them the significance of practice and preparation. And that is Mm -hmm. one of the things that I always stress to people those who are the most successful are those who are the best prepared. But when you're really well-prepared, you can then have nuances, going back to what my dad said, that life is a series of adjustments. So my recommendation is if you truly want to be able to grow your business with strategies that will quickly and ethically and dramatically grow your business, not my opinion, but others' experience, then peak your profits might be one of the tools to help you do just that.
0: You brought up something else. I talk with podcasters about uh, leveraging my my radio experience, and they'll often say, "Well, Jeff, when I do an interview, I don't I don't want to prepare questions. I, I want the, just I want the conversation to just flow, as if as if listeners are going to enjoy just hearing you and and someone else have an unplanned, unpracticed, unprepared conversation. Those usually don't turn out very well. But the but the but the issue is, well, if I prepare questions, then I'm just going to sound like I'm going down a list of questions. I'm like, not if you're asking great questions, because as soon as you get an answer to a great question, the next thing your listener wants you to do is ask another great question. And the only way to ensure that is to prepare them in advance. But like you said, that doesn't mean you can't uh, make an unplanned stop or an unplanned turn. You hadn't originally, you know, I've done that several times during the course of this conversation, despite the fact that most of the questions that I asked were planned in advance. I thought about them because only when I do that, can I all but guarantee that anyone listening is, is really going to get out of this conversation what I ultimately hope they get out of this, this conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely true. And that's the distinction between a game plan and a script. When a flight takes off, whether it's from Chicago or from Tennessee, there's a flight plan. But based upon weather, there are constant adjustments that are being made, mm. what does a quarterback do? A quarterback comes up to the line of scrimmage. They look over the line and they might call inaudible. What's the purpose mm-hmm. of the audible? Mm-hmm. I thought a pass would work, ain't going to work. I thought a run would work, ain't going to work. So we go to RPO, run, pass, option. But I tell people, call your own RPO, results, possibilities, opportunities. When you're well-prepared, that's what allows you to call an audible. You don't have to ask only these 12 questions. I stress to people, based upon the answer that you get, you might not get to your next planned question, but use your own intuitive listening skills to discover, and I call this the world's fastest strategic plan, Jeff. Where are you? Where would you like to be? And how do you want to get there? Mm -hmm. And that's really what people attempt to do from a sales perspective is customer, prospect, client. Where are you? Where would you like to be? And how do you want to get there? Uh, Let's see if I can help you do that. Why? I might be able to improve your condition. I might be able to help you attain a more favorable future, but I'm not going to know if I tell you. That's why I've got to listen to what you want to accomplish.
0: And to your point earlier about practice and preparation and your quarterback example, your football example, I mean look at professional athletes. do they stop planning and preparing once they get into the to the big leagues? No they do it probably more than than ever. They don't stop going to practice. they don't stop coming to preseason and all those things uh, and, and when you look at how much time is spent there relative to actual game time, it's almost like a 90 ten <laughs> sort of ratio i mean it's uh, the time spent in practice is is far greater than the actual time on the field, and I think that's oftentimes something that those of us in other areas of life forget that, not that it needs to be 90-10, but, but some of us maybe had that flipped <laughs> and, and need to need to bring that into, into better alignment, I would argue.
1: Well, you know from your experience in radio and from read to LEAD is you talk to top achievers all the time. Top achievers are always practicing in preparing, at least those who are top Achievers. So from my radio and TV days here in Chicago as well, I interviewed folks like business side. It, It could have been people related to great books or journalists, people like Ted Koppel, Oprah Winfrey. Bruce Jenner, people say to me, Caitlin, I go, I don't know Caitlin, but I do know Bruce Mm -hmm. Bill Russell, who recently passed away, one of Mm -hmm. the greatest winners in the history of not just basketball, but all sports. And as a result of that, Dan Jansen, gold medalist as well, like Bruce Jenner. So these top achievers and I would often talk about the preparation they engaged in, not just physical, but mental to be able to succeed. And most people don't see that, but they do watch the last couple of minutes of ESPN at night and they see the top 10 and then they wonder, how did he or she do that? They made it look so, what's the next word, Jeff? Easy. Easy. How do they make (laughs) it look so easy? That's because they're busting their butt. That's why they made it look so easy.
0: Mm, Well said. And something I meant to mention at the top of our conversation, I mean, if if you're on the fence about this book, here is just a handful of those who give it some advanced praise. Jeffrey Gittimer, uh, Augmandino. My goodness. Uh, Brian Tracy. Who else uh, did I want to pull out of here? Oh, Jay Abraham, uh, Mark Sanborn.
1: Yes. Some wonderful friends over there. Mark Sanborn's been a buddy for years, well, over 30 years. The author of uh, The Fred Factor. Mark's a terrific speaker. So he and I... Really, one of the first friends that I made at the National Speakers Association mm-hmm. was Sanborn. Again, I call him Sanborn. He calls me Blackman. Uh, Ag Mandino endorsed the first edition of Peak Your Profits. Obviously, Ag has passed since then. Mm-hmm. Brian Tracy. I interviewed Brian for my TV show. We've known each other for a long time. Always been very kind to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, back, Zig Ziglar. Zig provided a testimonial for another one of my books. And Zig was always mm. very kind to me. And Giddemer and I are our buddies. So Jeffrey and I have been friends <laughs> since 1995. And Jeffrey was kind enough to provide the cover influencer testimonial for this fifth edition of Peak Your Profits. And mm. Jeffrey and I just ex- literally a, a week ago, we exchanged text messages. So he's, he's really a good friend.
0: Mm. One of Ogmandino's works had a huge impact on me. 20, 30 years ago, I've had a chance to see Mark Sanborn speak yeah. in person. That's been great. Uh, Brian Tracy was kind enough to endorse uh, my books. So we have that, that oh, in common, uh, which is great. Final question here, as we, as we are just about out of time, I'm going to limit you to say two. If you could think of two books uh, that you think are worth recommending besides your own to people listening, what would those two books be and why?
1: Uh, can I sneak in a third? Is that okay?
0: Okay. If I do it quickly? <laughs> yeah, you're fine. You're fine.
1: So I, I'm <laughs> kind of going back to classics. And there's a reason that things are called classic. So being my age, I love classic rock. So therefore, I love classic books. And these work at any time. Over the three, I think folks would be especially familiar with, which is why I wanted an okay to sneak into a third. The first is Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich. And the one who turned me on to that was my dad. So if you mm. ask my dad what he did, he wouldn't say I was a tax lawyer. He'd say I was a marketeer, w- which he was. So mm. he taught me the value of positive thinking. So that's the first one, Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill. The second one is, again, a classic, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's one of the things that I've always stressed to our children. We've got three kids. And that's Chad and Brittany and Amanda. Brittany's now married to Rob and then the grandkids. And I'll stress to the grandkids when they can actually start to understand what the heck their poppy is talking about, (laughs) is that if you can be smart, if you can be funny, and if you can be likable, you're going to have a terrific life. Mm -hmm. So that's why Carnegie always works. And another one that I think folks might not be familiar with, but I'm rereading it again now. And my dad gave this to me in college. It's by Claude Bristol and it's called The Magic of Believing. So Claude Bristol wrote this following World War One to help veterans who were returning to the States to help them deal with that transition. Mm. Now, it's so ironic when you think about that, it was no different than veterans returning World War II, the Korean War, mm-hmm. the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, because it's a book about belief and vision and possibilities. Mm. So the first two folks might have heard before, likely they sure have, but Claude Bristol, The Magic of Believing. If I could sneak in a fourth, Mario Puzo, The Godfather, because I read it when I was in eighth grade and it changed my life about the value of storytelling. I felt like I was breaking the rules as an eighth grader to be able to read that <laughs> book when
0: my parents were on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The Power of Belief, I have, is it, am I getting the title right? Power of Belief? Magic of Believing. Magic of Believing, sorry. Magic of Believing. I had not heard of that one, so I appreciate you sneaking, quote unquote, that one in. Because I'll definitely check that one out. Um, well, this has been a real treat, Jeff. Thank you so much. The book, again, is called Peak Your Profits, The Explosive Business Growth System, now in its fifth edition, an Amazon bestseller. Outsell, outserve, outmarket, outnegotiate your competition. His name again, Jeff Blackman, Blackman jeffblackman.com. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Treat is mine. Thanks so much, JP. Connecting with Jeff is easy to do. I've included where you can find him online like Twitter, LinkedIn, and elsewhere on the show notes page for this episode along with the books and other links and resources mentioned. That's all at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 445 for episode 445. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 445. If you enjoy consuming books, I think that's probably the case. Podcasts, I'm pretty sure that's the case as well. Online articles, smart videos, and more. You're no doubt taking notes, but chances are you don't do anything with them. If you want to change that, check out Note Making Mastery at my new site, home of the Read to Lead Network. You'll find that at jeffbrown.me. When you sign up for the course, you're a part of the Read to Lead Network, which means you get free content from me each and every week, numerous times a week, in fact. One more time, it's Jeff jeffbrown.me. Coming up in the next few weeks, it's Carmine Gallo, Cindy McGovern, and next week we've got Mike Evans slated. That's a wrap for this week. Look forward to seeing you next time when we sit down with Mike. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead.